0: today as we draw our attention to the book of Romans chapter number eight I want to say what a privilege it is to worship the Lord with you it's so good to be with each and every one of you in the house of the Lord to all of our guests that are here worshiping with us we are so very glad to see you and to have you in the house of the Lord at First Pentecostal Church thank you for worshiping with us amen we're very honored to have you today for all the faithful saints of God that have gathered here, thank you for being in the house of the Lord. So very, very thankful for your faithfulness and appreciate you being in the house of God. I know that, uh, I know that serving the Lord is a choice. It's something that you do by choosing to do that. And I'm glad that you've chosen this today. But I can say without reservation, unequivocally beyond a shadow of a doubt, There is no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning. Right here, right now. Amen. I'm so glad to be here. Praise God. The book of Romans, chapter number 8. I'm going to visit one quick verse there. And then I would like to draw your attention to the book of Revelation. Romans, chapter number 8. I don't ever study Romans The 8th chapter, by what I think of my granddad, Brother Bingham, raised me up saying this was one of his favorite scriptures, and he would quote it all the time, Romans 8 and 28. If you're there, say amen. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. I want you to think about what you just read. And we know that all things, all things work together for good. That's the end of the story. It doesn't matter whether it feels good or not. It works for our good. It works for our good. Revelation. Chapter number one, if you would, please. Revelation chapter number one. What a powerful book. I do realize at first glance. The revelation seems to be so apocalyptic that it's all about the revelation of the end time and what's going to happen in the end time. But the truth is, revelation and the purpose of revelation is revealed to us in the opening of the book. Revelation chapter one and verse number one. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Of Jesus Christ to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Somebody say, John. John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. The time is at hand. Verse number nine, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the aisle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice that I was in the aisle of Patmos for, there's a reason that I was there, I was in Patmos for the word of God. And for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John said there was a purpose in Patmos. I was in Patmos because God was speaking to me. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Saying I am Alpha And Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, to Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. I, John, am your brother. And I am your companion in tribulation. And I was in the aisle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about the purpose in your Patmos. The purpose in your Patmos. Father, thank you for your word today. I believe that you're going to speak in this house. I pray that the word of God would come alive. That the blessing and favor of God would be recognized in this house, not in the fact that you keep us from Patmos, but rather that when we're in Patmos, you're there. I plead the blood of Jesus over this house today, and I ask that you would speak mightily through your servant, and that the ears of your church would hear gladly and receive the word of God. I pray for good seed into good soil. And we'll thank you for deep roots in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I want to do my best today to get where I'm going, but I'm going to do something that's probably not completely um, permissible in the ranks of proper oratory and the idea of laying uh, hermeneutical foundations in our speaking today. I'm going to preach to you the basic idea of my sermon in the first 30 seconds of my sermon and then I'm going to come back and preach my sermon. I'm going to tell you right now at the beginning of this sermon what I'm getting ready to preach to you. And I I know some of you are thinking right now, then why don't you just preach in 30 seconds and then we'll go eat lunch. But God has a word for somebody in this house. I want to tell you that John made it very, very clear. I was in the aisle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here's the sermon. Without Patmos. There is no revelation. Without Patmos. There is no revelation. We are a people. That desire for God to take every storm from our lives. We stand on scriptures like if you have faith as of a grain of mustard seed you shall say to this mountain be thou removed and be cast into the sea. And we stand on that and say that if God's not moving the mountain, then our faith wasn't strong enough. And the enemy will box our brains out because we are convinced that we have lost the faith because the mountain is still there. I don't don't want to be today a bearer of bad news, and I don't want to come today and sound like, I'm throwing you off the cliff from the very beginning of this sermon. But I want to tell you something that maybe the devil doesn't want you to know. Maybe the mountain that's standing in front of you is still standing there because it's the will of God. Maybe God has not moved that mountain because if you take away the mountain. You take away the ability to believe that God We'll walk with you. I want to preach to you and help you to understand this morning. Yes, I've seen him move mountains. But I've also seen him leave mountains and me have to walk up that mountain and climb that mountain and him walk with me up that mountain. John, a disciple that at least five different times in the New Testament was said he was the disciple that Jesus loved. We come into the life of John and a picture of this disciple whom Jesus would absolutely love. As Jesus in the book of Mark is walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he walks up on two men, invites him to follow after him. And so they abandon their nets. And they followed him. The scripture said that he went a little bit further. And there, as he went a little bit further, he came upon James and John. They were with their father named Zebedee. Zebedee was the one that had taught them how to fish. There's a really good possibility that the boat they were fishing in that day, perhaps Zebedee and his father had built the boat. And that James and John were fishing in their inheritance. That literally everything Zebedee was going to leave behind to them was the boat they were sitting in. So you have to understand when Jesus said, follow me, and they left Zebedee and the boat, they were not walking away from a nitro bass fishing boat. They were not walking away from uh, a leisurely day on the Sea of Galilee just kicking back at the lake and trying to... Chum in a few brim. They were walking away from their only hope for the future. They were walking away from their livelihood. They were walking away from their inheritance. But John forsook the boat. John forsook the net. John forsook his father and left him sitting in the fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. John. Walked with Jesus. John saw many miracles. The miracles that John speaks of Jesus doing. It's pretty incredible to think that John would record the miracle at the marriage supper at Cana of Galilee. Pretty incredible to think that John was there when Jesus took five loaves and two fish and blessed them and break them and fed thousands. John was a man who had seen the miraculous power of Jesus as it unfolded before many. But John's relationship with Jesus was deeper than loaves and fish. Thousands saw Jesus perform miracles, but only 12 followed him every day. There's always a big crowd when miracles are transpiring. And things are taking place that everybody wants to be a part of. But it wasn't just the people that were there the day that the loaves were blessed and broken and the fish were multiplied. It was not that group of people there that day at the base, the foot of the cross. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, was grieving. No, it was not the thousands, it was John. It was John who had seen the miracles of Jesus. But when the miracles were over and the people had departed, it was John who was there in the middle of the night as he sat by the fire with Jesus. It was John when Jesus had been crucified and given up the ghost. It was John that was there. I tell you right now that we don't separate the men from the boys because people want to be there when the blessings are being poured out. It's a true disciple that will follow Jesus beyond the miracle and will follow Jesus beyond the loaves and will follow Jesus beyond the fish and will be there at the foot of the cross where nobody wants to be. John was a man that had seen some stuff. I don't want to bore you today with a bunch of dates but I want you to just stay close to me right here for a minute and follow me if you would. The book of Revelation was written somewhere Approximately around 95 A.D. Jesus was crucified, put in a tomb, resurrected and ascended into the heavens approximately 33 A.D. So that's just a little over 60 years from the time that Jesus was resurrected and ascended into the heavens. And John is exiled to a place called Patmos. Now, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, so in the middle of all of this, of the resurrection, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the writing of the book of Revelation, John goes through some stuff. John receives word of the place that he loved so very much and had walked with Jesus being destroyed, literally turned upside down. But Jesus had told John and those following him that day that Jerusalem is going to be overturned. And he said, matter of fact, the building that you're looking at right now, he said, there, won't, there will not be one stone left unturned right here. It's going to happen. So when 70 AD rolled around and Jerusalem was destroyed, John was not surprised at all. But after Jesus had been crucified and was resurrected, the Bible said that Jesus comes and finds John and Peter while they were fishing. Christ refers to John here as the disciple that he loves. John and Peter go back and tell everybody what happened. They went back to Jerusalem. They waited on the arrival of the promise of the Father. John was present with the believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell. He received power and played a critical role in the expansion of the early church. It was in the book of Acts that John helps Peter to heal people, to spread the gospel, And is imprisoned for preaching the message of Christ. It is apparent to us that throughout history, John cares for Mary, the mother of Jesus, until her death. Which we believe to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 54 A.D. So another 20 years or so after the death of Jesus, we find John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Listen to me now. Jesus is gone. He's out of the picture. No more miracles, signs, and wonders following Jesus. No more loaves and fish. But 20 years after Jesus is gone, John is still faithful to what Jesus asked him to do. We begin to see the power of this man, of the fruit of his life. That Jesus asked him to care for his mother. And he never had to ask him again. Jesus did not appear to John in a vision and say to him, Did I not tell you to care for my mother? But history tells us that for the next 20 years after Jesus was gone, that John put his arm around Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he loved her as his own. There is something to be said about somebody that does not live their life waiting for a fresh word from God every single day. There's something to be said about somebody that doesn't feel like we've got to go to every single conference that's put on around the globe so that we can receive a fresh word from God. There is something to be said about the faithful child of God that's willing to just take God at His word. And when God says, There's a work to be done, We put our shoulder to the plow and we work until the job is finished. So in 54 approximately A.D., we find that John was still caring for Mary. John continued to preach the message that was preached on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And he took Acts 2 and 42 pretty serious. He continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. He preached it everywhere that he went. And finally, King Herod Agrippa had had all that he could stand of John. He attacked the Christians, he caused them to scatter outside of Jerusalem. And you'll find this in the book of Acts, the 12th chapter. Everybody likes the book of Acts chapter 2. Everybody likes the book of Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John are healing the lame man at the gate. But I want to tell you that in the book of Acts, there are also the scattering of the saints of God. There are also snakes, vipers jumping out of fires. There are also shipwrecks and brokenness. I'm telling you right now that there is a false idea of God that just because we profess our love for Him and we jump on this thing and say, oh yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to preach. You know, I hear young guys talk about all the time, I want to be a preacher, I want to be a preacher, I want to preach camps, I want to preach conferences, I want to do this and I want to do that. I tell you right now that before there's ever going to be a revelation in your life, you're going to go through some things. God cannot undo what you haven't been through. The stories that we read of such great faith. We can pick up religious history and read about great awakenings. We can pick up religious history books and read about men that were mightily used of God. Reading a story just the other day that there was a Bible college group that had gone to visit the house of an old preacher who was apparently used of God mightily to have an awakening of revival in his nation. And the dean of students, from what I understood, took a group of preachers to be through this Bible college group. They went to this old preacher's house that had, had become somewhat of a museum, and they were looking around. When they got to the bedroom of that old preacher, they said there were two spots in the wood floor in front of a chair in the corner of the room that looked like the wood had warped in two different spots. It was said to that group of students that it is believed that that was from the knees of that old man. Where he had knelt and prayed for hours every single day. For hours and hours on end. That the depressions in the floor were from the knees of a praying man. And they said that the rest of that group cleared out and they went down. And when the, uh, the, the teacher got down to, uh, to leave he started counting and realized he was one short. So he went back through the house to find this last young man that he was looking for. They said when he walked into the bedroom, that young student at the Bible college had knelt down and put his knees in the two indentions on the floor. And he said when he walked into the room, he had his hands in the air and he said, do it again, Lord, do it again, do it again. And while I appreciate the concept and I understand the idea, I want to tell you that you're not going to bow your knee in the prayer trenches of an old man that had put those there every day. And walk out with that man's anointing because you thought it worthwhile to pray a prayer or two. I'm telling you right now, church family, that if we're going to walk in anointing and power, we're going to have to go through some things. We're going to have to outlive some things. I was told this morning, My precious sister in this church, that one year ago this week she was given six months to a year to live. And today she's in the house of God. And I say this not to embarrass anybody or to make anybody feel like we're trying to be insensitive. But you take it from the heart of this preacher when I tell you that you can receive bad news in your life. And let that be the end of your story if that's really the way you want it to be. You can sit back in the proverbial corner of life and put your thumb in your mouth and say, Okay, God, I guess this is how my story is going to be written. Or you can make up in your mind that it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm going through or what I'm facing. Oh, Lord, help me. Everybody was excited the day that they tore the roof off the house and let the man in to get to Jesus. Everybody thought that was cool. Oh, my, what friends he had. What great friends he had. Tear the roof off to get him to Jesus. But can I tell you right now that after that man was healed, after his bed had been carried off, there was still a hole in the roof. There was still a hole in the roof of the house that somebody was going to have to sleep in that night. When the miracle was over, they still needed somebody to say, Okay, the miracle is finished, but now we've got to put this thing back together. We're not just here for the miracle. We're here for the house. It's not hard to find folks that will gather together on a Sunday morning when it doesn't cost them anything. But it's amazing when you find somebody that when Sunday's over, on Sunday night and on Monday, they're still in the trenches. They've still got their face before God. They're still bowing down in front of the old rocking chair. I want to tell you this walk with God has a lot less to do with Sunday morning and Sunday night than you think it does. It's not just about gathering together. Together, it's about being a disciple and following Jesus. Somebody shout, Amen. I can tell you that I've seen God perform miracles that man said was impossible, seen limbs grow. Seen a crippled walk. I have laid my hands on blinded eyes. And when my hand moved, they began to see. Not because of me. I've prayed the prayer of faith and stuck my fingers in the ears of a deaf man. that when we prayed the prayer of faith, he began to hear. But I've also had to bury some people that I really wanted God to heal. Is this too real on a Sunday morning? I mean, maybe if I spray it to the fifth row. Church family, I need you to hear what I'm telling you this morning. My faith in God Is not predicated on what he takes away from me. My faith in God. Is not predicated on every mountain that he moves for me. (laughs) John ends up in Ephesus. Scattered abroad. Because his home area, his hometown is laying in ruins just a couple of years after the dispersal, some parts of John's life are extremely unclear. We have a lot more information on several of the other disciples that followed after Jesus. Some we don't have very much at all, but John's, there's a lot of seasons in his life that's very unclear. Historical sources claim that John was a great leader, the church in Ephesus. In other words, He wasn't dispersed from Jerusalem. Went to Ephesus and found a log cabin overlooking a little lake and just said, I guess since I can't be where I want to be, I'll just prop my feet up right here and stop preaching. It would be so easy for us to stop believing just because God didn't answer the way That we wanted him to answer But the best evidence that we can find Is that John said I'd rather Even being dispersed from Jerusalem I'd rather work in Ephesus to build the kingdom of God Than to let men destroy the faith that's within me Because God didn't drive them out You do understand that when the Messiah came They were fully expecting the Messiah to drive the Romans out of Jerusalem and for the kingdom of Israel to be restored. But John's hopes and dreams were shattered when he was dispersed and had to move to Ephesus. But he didn't waste the journey when he got to Ephesus. He said, I believe I'll put my shoulder to the plow. I'll find somebody to teach about, oh Lord. What's wrong with you, John? Don't you know the reason you got here in the first place is for preaching Jesus? You were imprisoned, and that's why you're in Ephesus. And John said, I'd rather be a prisoner with him and to preach him than I would to die in Jerusalem and do nothing for him. I'm telling you right now, This is probably too transparent, but the call becomes very real for every man and woman of God at some point in your life that it would be a whole lot easier to kick back and take it easy than it would to continue on in the will of God. All John had to do is when they told John in Jerusalem, when Herod the Great said, Hey, you got one of two choices. You can either stop preaching Jesus or you can leave. All John had to do was stop preaching Boy that got quiet All you got to do is quit All you got to do is throw in the towel That's it All you have to do is wake up one morning And say I've had enough I'm done I'm not going to preach or mention his name anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore because the cost is too much for me. And there is a risk that is taken, folks. Let's just be real on this Sunday morning. Is it possible that John, after the day of Pentecost, had been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, is it possible that John could have died in Jerusalem without preaching the truth and went on to heaven? Perhaps, but it's a risk that he wasn't willing to take. Pastor, do you think John would have been saved if he would have stopped preaching and just stayed there? I don't know. But apparently he wasn't willing to take the risk. John said, I'd rather die working for the Lord than to die in the peace of Jerusalem and keep my mouth shut. I pray today. That the Holy Ghost would do a work in this house, in the heart of somebody this morning that's on the brink of quitting, on the brink of throwing in the towel. But God, send me on this Sunday morning to encourage you that you'd be better off for your tongue to cleave to the roof of your mouth than you would be to throw in the towel and to quit preaching Jesus. finally, John just keeps preaching. He doesn't waste his Ephesus moment. He pours himself out. John went through some stuff. Pain, hurt, rejection, imprisonment, loss. We really don't have any clue what happened to John's family, although we're pretty positive he had family because in Third John chapter 1, he said, no greater joy do I have than to know that my children walk in the truth. Think about this, church. You don't ever see John's kids mentioned being in Ephesus with him. John is separated from everything that he loves driven away in a season of life that's unfair and God should know better than to put any man through what John is going through. Surely if John was right with God, God would have taken all of this pain away. All of the separation. All of the anxiety. All of the loss. All of the frustration. But John... He said I heard good news I heard that my kids Are still walking In the truth John I don't know where your kids are I don't know where they're walking In truth But I do know this They learn well from their daddy That you don't just throw in the towel Because times get tough And God didn't give you the answer That you were looking for Uh, this is a lot harder to preach than you think it is this morning. John. <laughs> there is an interesting dynamic that happens. Believe it or not, as lawless as they seemed, the Romans actually had some ethics. Don't let that surprise you. They had an ethic of double jeopardy. That if You outlived their first punishment They couldn't try to kill you again And the only option they had was to exile you So they took John Who had been faithful to God Who had walked in truth Who had been a broken man But still kept on loving God He kept on preaching in Ephesus And they turned up the heat in the pot of oil They said okay John If you won't quit preaching, you leave us no other option than to put you in this boiling vat of oil. We're going to bury your flesh in this oil, John, and we're going to take your life from you. And you're going to stop preaching once and for all. So they took John and they put him in the oil. I don't know how long they left him there. I don't know exactly what went on. I I can't tell you. I don't know what kind of moment it was. I don't know. You can say whatever you want to say, but I believe that when John stepped up to that pot of boiling oil, he stepped up with fear in his heart. I guarantee you that because he was flesh and blood, that it crossed John's mind at that moment. The only thing I've got to do is quit right now. The only thing I've got to do is just stop preaching. The only thing I've got to do is stop believing and I'll live to see tomorrow. But John stepped up anyway and they told him, they said, Now, without delay, step your body down into this oil. And folks, you hear me when I tell you right now. If you have ever seen hot oil and the way that it responds to food, if you've ever seen a whole turkey lowered down, On Thanksgiving Day, into a boiling pot of oil, you'll know exactly what John was feeling and what it sounded like when his first leg stepped off down into that oil and all he had to do was stop preaching. The left leg is now in the oil blisters all up and down his leg and now his inner thigh is beginning to boil and the flesh is literally boiling off of his bones and he's halfway in on that first leg and it crosses his mind I can live with one leg and just stop preaching go ahead John go ahead and put your right leg in John steps off into the oil and he's boiling. The heat is so tremendous. And now it's as if he's carried away to another place. And the enemy is barking in his ear, John. All you've got to do is just stop preaching. That's all you've got to do. Just stop. And they put John in the oil. And it's about that time that they started realizing Then what's inside of John is greater than what we've tried to do to John. Because on his way in to the boiling oil, and we don't have it recorded, but we know something like this had to happen. That when John went in, the only thing he could do was bless the name of the Lord because he stepped off into the oil, and the oil could not kill him. The oil could not destroy him. I've come to tell somebody today the best thing you could do when you step off into that fiery trial is raise both hands and declare the goodness of God. Come on, let it get on you this morning. Though he slay me, yet. Well, I trust him. listen to this preacher that's standing before you today when I tell you all you've got to do is quit that's it just quit stop throw in the towel run away from your calling just forget it be happy isn't that what God wants for us anyhow I guess it depends on what scale you're measuring (laughs) because while some are measuring their grief their pain and their loss John sits down to write another epistle and he said oh I'm so thankful that my babies are serving the Lord pastor you don't know how unfair life's been listen I want to set the record straight right now. Nobody ever said you hadn't been through hell. I, I just, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you think this is too real. Maybe somebody watching today online thinks that I'm being by far too real. But I'm preaching to you what real life is all about today. It is false doctrine For us to believe that God is going to take everything, every anxiety, every pain, everything that we've ever been through. I've come to tell somebody this morning if He never healed my body, I'd never know that He was a healer. Have you read the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter? These are not people that God delivered out of all their troubles. They're people that died in the faith, not having possessed. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. Jude didn't say, earnestly contend for your right to be happy. Jude did not say, earnestly contend for the fact that you feel like life did you wrong and God didn't bail you out. I look around this room today and if you know my heart, you won't be offended by what I'm about to say. I look around this room today. And I see a lot of vessels in this house that are broken, chipped up, full of marks. You're not people that have just been perfect vessels all your life. And so God just filled you up, and now you're full all the time. You're still a work in progress. There are people in here that from time to time God still has to take that healing balm of Gilead and put it on a broken place in your life. There are people in this room today that are still fighting from things that happened to you when you were a young child. You can't take away the fact that you were broken and you were hurt. Nobody in this world can take away The realities that are seared into the image of your mind perpetually. The indelible mark that has been left by the betrayal. The lonely times. The feeling of being unworthy. Like if God's going to use anybody, it sure wouldn't be you because you're too messed up. You are a walking, living, breathing example of a testimony of the goodness and the grace of God. It's not that you have not been broken. It's very simply that if it had not been, for the Lord who was on our side, you would still be broken. But God in his infinite wisdom reached down to a broken mess. And it began to remold and reshape. Oh, God. When you came to God, your life wouldn't hold water. You had so many holes in your life. Some of you never had anybody believe in you until you came to God. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. But I'm telling you today, there are people in this room that need to be aware of the fact that you're sitting among people that never ever felt love until they came to God. I'm not saying this to be insensitive, but you listen to this preacher. I'm telling you, I've laid my heart out on a platter today. I'm wide open before you. But you are not the first person to feel hated and despised of men. There are people in this room right now that have been used. They've been abused. There are people in this room today that have been raped. They've been molested. They've been done wrong. They've been forsaken. They've been told how worthless they are. They've been told how invaluable, uh, that they had no value to anybody, that they had no value to life. Their husbands have walked away from them. Their wives have walked away from them. But they found a little principle in the house of God that we have a father that's not like any other father in this world. He's not a man that'll just love you and leave you and drop you off to die in your dilemma. But he's a God that is faithful. He is faithful in the fiery trial. He is faithful when we're on the mountaintop. He's faithful when we're in the valley. He is a God that is faithful to us. hurrying John comes out of the oil. It's Mark Mann, but he's still alive. So because of the principle of the double jeopardy idea in the government of Rome, they said, well, we couldn't kill him We can't put him back in oil, so the only thing we know to do is to exile him. But church family, I want to tell you, it was all part of the plan of God for John to be exiled to Patmos because there was a purpose in his Patmos. They thought they were exiling him For him to die They thought they were cutting him off From the lifeline But what they were really doing Was giving God a chance To plug back into John's spirit And to show him John everything you've been through Has not been Without cause Everything that you've been through, all the hell that you fought, John, if it hadn't been for the hell that you've been through, you'd never see heaven come down. At the opening of the book of Revelation, the Bible said that John saw new heaven coming down. But after that, the language changed. And heaven was not coming down to John anymore. Heaven was speaking down to John and saying, John, you come up. You come up. Heaven said, I'll come down to you and visit you in Patmos so that you can come up to where I am. When John gets to Patmos, folks, we never read mention of it one time. In the book of Revelation that I, John was boiled in oil. I, John was sent to Ephesus. I, John lost my kids. I, John lost my wife. No, what we read is John said, I'm on the Isle of Patmos because God is trying to speak to me. I'm on the Isle of Patmos because God is giving me a testimony. I, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I wasn't here to worry about where I've been. I wasn't here to talk about what I've been through. I'm on Patmos and Patmos has a purpose John doesn't tell on Patmos about what he's been through but rather receives revelation about the one that's walked through every mile with him every step every trial John said I hear a familiar voice it sounds like a trumpet and the language is exactly the language he needs to hear I am Alpha You know what that means? I was there at the beginning. He said, I'm the Omega. You know what that means? I'll be there at the end. But if he's Alpha and he's Omega, he's got to be everything else in between. He said, oh God. He said, John, I was there at the beginning of your life. And I'm going to be there at the end of your life. But you've got to know I've been with you every step of the way. Don't keep Begging God to take away your Patmos. There is a purpose. Three days and a tall mountain seemed like a lot for a man that's staring at his boy and is going to have to lay his life down. But if you take away the three day journey in Moriah, there will never be a ram in the thicket. Take those three Hebrew boys who had to take on the names given them by a sinful leader. The fire, the torment. If you keep this up, we're going to throw you in the fire. Church, all they had to do was quit. Just bow down. You take away the fire you take away the fourth man If you take away the fire You take away the revelation that came To those who were trying to harm those Hebrew boys Because the revelation came to them When they looked over in the furnace And they asked the question How many did we throw in there? We threw three in there. Well, I don't know, something happened in the fire because I see a fourth man and he's like, as unto the son of man, if you take away the fire, you take away the fourth man. If you take away the lion's den, you take away the deliverance. Let's stand this morning. Surely, if I was in the will of God, this mountain would disappear. No. The mountain is part of His will. You know what you need to do? You need to sit down today. You need to tighten up your bootstraps. Pastor, you're about to be insensitive. No, no, I'm fixing to tell you the formula for victory. We don't act like our problems don't exist. That's foolish. But we sit down. We tighten up our bootstraps. We pull up our britches. We square up our shoulders. And we walk in the confidence that he is with us. He is for us. No weapon formed against us is going to prosper. And if I die today... I'm going to die being faithful to what he's called me to do. I may not die in Jerusalem preaching. I may die in Ephesus preaching. But wherever I die, John said, I'll die preaching. God has sent me to this house on this Sunday morning. To reach out to somebody in Jesus name. That's been cursing your Patmos. But I'm calling for the almighty hand of God. To rest on this congregation right now. I'm calling right now. For somebody in this house. To step out with boldness in Jesus' name right now and declare I refuse to give up I refuse to throw in the towel I refuse to quit I refuse to not make mention of His name I'm going to do whatever I've got to do today I'm going to keep on believing I'm going to keep on trusting Pastor I feel like if God loved me he'd take this away I'm telling you he won't take it away because he loves you There's something I feel like that needs to be clarified in the Holy Ghost today God was not the source of Patmos He was the comfort of Patmos God is not the source of your pain He is the comfort of your pain God is not the source of your brokenness. He is the healing of your brokenness. And he's reaching down in this house right now. Saying I will heal and I will work. But who will let me right now? Come on with faith believing. Stretch those hands towards heaven. And say God I'm tired of fighting your plan and your purpose. If you're going to do a work in me. It might as well be right now. Do a work in my life. Do Do a work in my family. Do a work in my marriage.